Morning. Can you tell school's starting back? If you need a copy of God's Word, you can slip your hand up. And these gentlemen will be glad to give you one. I know they're gentlemen, they told me they were. You can take your Bibles and or your devices or whatever you're using and turn to Acts chapter 18, the book of Acts chapter 18. There's a couple of things I want to mention to you and then we'll jump in and hang on. So obviously with school starting back this week and as we head toward a, another fall, and I know you're not thinking fall based on the weather outside, but as we head towards so much going on, a lot of, lot of uh, uh, things happened in the fall or started in the fall. And so I want to make sure that you not only you read the, the handout you got when you came in, or use an old church term, the bulletin you got when you came in. Uh, you can go to the website, uh, Facebook pages, wherever you want to go, wherever you get your information, uh, pigeon, whatever it is, where you get your information Realize there's a lot of things going on, and, and we're not always going to talk about all of them. We'll talk about some. We'll mention different things that are going on, but you just need to check out and take advantage of the stuff that's uh, uh, applicable to you that you want to be part of. For example, men. You'll, you'll notice there there's a mission trip coming up in September. It'll be here before you know it to Ethnos 360 up in Roach, Missouri, and we try to get up there a couple of times a year, and this is our second one this year. And the Scorpion, we do, uh, they save their really big projects for us. I guess they figure our guys are big and strong, that's why we send John. So you can contact John or uh, Chad Stewart. You can write it on your uh, Connect card, and we will pass it on to them. If you're interested in men, this is a men's trip, this particular one. If you're interested in being part of that mission trip, then they need to know so they can make plans. And uh, we were talking about it Thursday night. So we've got a driver, and we've got a cook. And we got John, so and a couple, a couple of us. So we're gonna be doing a lot of eating, and, and the driver and the cook will do well. So, if you'd like to be part of that, guys, it's a, it's a really cool thing to do. So I would encourage you. We're gonna have Wednesday nights coming up, starting after Labor Day. We'll talk more about that later. Um, stuff on uh, uh, home groups, small groups. The ones that meet on Sunday night are gonna start in two weeks on the 18th. And uh, Steve Nance will be around. You might, if you want to ask him or, or Russ or or me, and let you know what's going on there. Uh, if you'll mark on your calendar now, I know it seems a long way off, but just so you can make plans for it, October 6th, October 6th, we're going to have our annual congregational meeting. This year, we're going to have it here. Uh, every other year, just about, as far as I know, every other year, we've had it at uh, Bartlett, simply because of facilities, but we wanna, we're going to try to do it here this year, so we've got to be good hosts, and we're all going to come, we're going to eat on the parking lot and uh, with the food trucks, and then we'll come in here and have, so we're going to do it right after church on October 6th, that uh, we'll eat here together and then come back in here and share some things that are going on we're excited about with our church. So, a lot of different things going on, you, again, you need to take advantage of what applies to you. All right, turn to Acts chapter 18, and let's begin to wrap up. Paul's witness at Corinth. What's going on at this as he begins to head toward the end of missionary journey number two? 
And one of the things that we've talked about, and you'll look at last week, we talked about number one there on your handout, that he gets here and, and, he, and he's really down and, and very discouraged. God brings some new people into his life and new partners, particularly, uh, specifically Aquila and Priscilla, that we will see more of as we go forward. They become new partners to him. And he's been struggling with fear and frustration. And I get to verse 7. If you'll, you'll start there with me. Acts chapter 18, verse 7. He departed from there, from the synagogue, and he entered the house of a certain man named Justice. This is Titius Justice. We'll see him again later also. One who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue, so he didn't go very far. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Here's what I want you to notice transitioning into what we're going to talk about today. God had a new area of ministry he was opening up to Paul. Paul needed that encouragement from God of the new partners of Aquila and Priscilla. And then he goes immediately, and it's always the way it's going to be. You're going to have highs, and you're going to have lows in ministry, whether you're someone who's technically being paid, who's in the ministry, but all believers are in ministry, and you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, you're going to have time... I'll give you a simple example. <laughs> I walk in here this morning at 1045 when Peter starts the service. There was four of us in here. I look around now. I actually went to Jim uh, when, the, when the kids were still in here, and I said, uh, if a few more people come in, we're going to have to break out chairs behind the curtain. And I said, you know, I think school has started back. And... And I don't mean this in a negative way. This is just the flesh sometimes. You look and you, and you walk into a room and there's four people in there and you get discouraged. I'm not, you know, that's real. You get discouraged. But you know what? That's God's business. I guess the rest of you are on the way. And God, I was graphically reminded uh, Friday night, I, I participated in a funeral for uh, Rhonda Leslie 54 years old, very young to me, died of pancreatic cancer. It literally took her in a month. Uh, Literally a month ago, I said she had it, and she was gone in in like three weeks. And her parents and her sister were very, very dear to me. When I uh, uh, saw Amy Doby this morning, and I was literally talking about her Friday night, the very first people I met when I came to Central North slash Christ Church in 1984 were Don Leslie and Amy Doby, Amy Beard back then, Kim Cole, and uh, another girl that I was, I was talking to her parents Friday night. And in the ensuing 35 years, uh, there's been incredible highs. I remember the day we moved in to our campus in Bartlett, we were meeting in a old building at Yale and Austin P. and I was, that's where I met Gary and Linda Leslie, and standing here doing her, their daughter's funeral, and I remember how encouraging they were to me, and how such a strong part of all that I was doing, and we literally left that building at Yale and Austin P. and moved into our gymnate, we called it a gymnatorium, is what Brother John called it, we moved in there in 1984, and we tripled in size in one Sunday, tripled, and never went back, and it was me and him and uh, 
one of the most godly human beings I've ever met, a man named Jim Kaler. A few of you remember Jim. Uh, man, we, we didn't even know what we were doing, I don't think, and God just blessed. We just showed up and ministered. Well, years go by, and people being people, uh, things happen that are very, very negative. Uh, severely hurt me, Mary, uh, my family, many friends, some of you, and if you're not careful, and I was standing there Friday night doing that funeral, and out of all the people in the room, 90% of them, not 90%, 75% of them used to go to my church. That's hard sometimes. And I know why most of them left, and it was simply that they believed something that wasn't true. But you know what? What did God say to me? Quit feeling sorry for yourself. I got other people for you to minister to, Paul. For two weeks, he's been beating me up with this passage. So I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. For three weeks, two weeks, God's been beat. Three weeks when I started, God's been beating me up, reminding me, your job is to stand up and love people, share the truth with them, preach the gospel, and I'll handle everything else. Do your job. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit looking at yourself and saying, you know, I... Maybe I don't need to be here anymore. You know, maybe it's time for somebody younger because Randy's an old coot who doesn't, knows what he's, doesn't know what he's doing. I've had people say that to me. And when it's that time, when I can't find my way up here anymore, I still stumble. <laughs> but when I can't find my way up anymore and art- articulate something with semi-intelligence that God can use, then I need to move. I hope I'll know when that time comes. That's God's business. And then I think back, and we've talked about a lot of different things, and 35 years, and uh, I look around at so many faith people here that I love that I would not have known had God not brought me out here 13 years ago. So many special people. Talked about this a little bit last week. So here's Paul. He's at Corinth. He's down, and he's discouraged, and he needs to be reminded of two things, just like I need to be reminded of two things. Number one, I hate to say this, but I'll do it, and Mary will get on to me as I leave today. There are two great truths in the universe. What are they? Number one, there is a God. Number two, you ain't it. You ain't it. And so our job, the message, the the theme of the entire Bible, Habakkuk 2.4, is what? The righteous shall live by faith. Not in their incredible ability and good looks. I'm glad about that. But by faith, trusting in the God who is trustworthy, who is faithful, trust him and then do what you're supposed to do. Trust and obey. Do what God would have you to do. And so as God reminded me those two great truths, I am God. And I got stuff for you to do. Just do it. Don't live in the past. Live in the now and in the future, what I have for you to do. And then just go do it and see what I'm going to do. So many times and you see in their lives and the apostles and the prophets and, and just disciples of Jesus, you see God changing things, saying, I know you really like it here and it's cool and everything's rocking along and it's fantastic, 
Well, Philip, I want you to go down to Ethiopia and just talk, go down and talk to this guy in Samaria, the Ethiopian eunuch. Just go talk to him. Well, Lord, things are going cool here. We got a fellowship dinner and stuff. I can't be leaving. Just go. Watch me take the gospel to Africa as a result. I, all I know is God says, you trust me. I was thinking about, even as I was reading some more stuff this week, Thinking about several years ago, we had that sermon at the beginning of the year, and I was giving you, like, you know, just kind of a trend. And remember the, the fat sermon? Be faithful, available, teachable. I don't care who you are. I don't care how. I've been a Christian almost 50 years. And the moment I think I've arrived and I don't have anything to learn, guess what? I'm in trouble. Because then you're going backwards. Just be faithful, available, and it's so important. Be teachable. Learn. Grow. Never be satisfied. Never think you've arrived. Understand that I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch. I need Jesus not only to save me, but to continually carry me until he takes me home. Because I'm not perfect. So he says to Paul, I got this new thing for you to do. I know you're wrapping up this missionary journey, but I, I need you to do some things as we finish this up here at Corinth. So you end the, look at the end of verse 8. So you've got Crispus, who's the leader of the synagogue, a Jew. In verse 7, you've got Titius Justus, a Gentile. So God immediately says to him, remember the gospel is for Gentiles, it's for Jews, and a whole bunch more of the Corinthians come to Christ. Well, here's what's going to happen. It's great, it's exciting, there are ups, there are downs. Incredible up, lots of people are coming into the church, they're getting saved. But the people at Corinth were incredible. They were coming out of paganism, immorality. They were incredibly wicked and immature, fleshly, and had so much that needed to change. And so here's, I know you find this hard to believe in a church, but you got all these people coming from different backgrounds, paganism, Judaism, uh, all these the polytheistic cults coming in together in this place at Corinth, this very immoral place, and they had a few problems in their church. I know you find that shockingly hard to believe. Paul would let later, later write these words to the church at Corinth. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I plead with you, brethren, writing to believers at Corinth, by the, in the name, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Chloe, by the way, is on the front row today. That's nice. I know I embarrassed her. There are contentions among you. Now I say this, to eat, that each of you says, and here's church, I'm following Paul because he's a big dog. That's not in here, but you can interpret that. I'm following Paul. Oh, I'm following Apollos. We'll talk more about him later. I'm following Cephas. That's Peter. And then the really spiritual ones, the ones that had been through like classes and they'd been trained and different things like that, they said, oh no, I'm following Christ. 
Is Christ divided, Paul says? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus, whom we just met, and Gaius, and that's probably Titius Justus, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize. We go preach that at our, our many churches today. I wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Tough, difficult, factious times in the church at Corinth. And here's what God says to him. Just go in there and preach Jesus. He's not saying don't get baptized. What he's saying is if your focus is who baptized you, that's wrong. If your focus is, look at me, I got baptized, but your life wasn't changed by Jesus, you just got wet. I was baptized four times before I got saved. What happened to me those first four times? I just got wet. Baptism after you're born again is a statement to the church, I'm in. It's a public profession. Paul was saying, you guys are fighting over all these. You read 1 Corinthians, you see it. You're fighting over all these things. I'm, I'm following this guy, and I'm following this guy, and I'm following this guy. How many churches have just blown up because individuals in the church decided to follow an individual instead of adhering to the word of God and following truth? I guarantee you, we could go around this room, and a number of you, if not all of you, if you've been in church any length of time at all, you could share a story how you know a church was just torn apart because of people following people instead of Jesus. We all can. So he says to Paul, just understand that Corinth is just another opportunity. It's going to be a messy opportunity. Because people are what? They're messy. Why are they messy? Because they're sinners. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Just keep preaching Christ crucified and let him change lives. So you get to point two on your handout, which is where we're starting today. That was the intro. That was nice. Now you can go, wow. All right, part two, number two. God's got a cool message for me, one that we desperately need. This new message from God. Remember the context. Paul's been encouraged by Aquila and Priscilla. God himself has shown him some incredible things. He's frustrated. He's questioning. And the Lord speaks to him, verse 9, in a vision. The Lord spoke to him in the night by a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. Speak. Do not keep silent, for I'm with you. No one will attack to hurt you. I have many people in this city. So let's walk through this a little bit. God's direct word to the Apostle Paul, his message to him in a vision at night. Number one, do not be afraid. I'm going to raise my hand to represent all of us. There are so many times when we're afraid. When we're afraid. Paul would later write these words to the church at Corinth from 2 Corinthians, his second letter to them. They were so bad they got two letters. Second letter to them, 
We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You have to turn there. He says this. Do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength. We despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. He was afraid. I want you to pause for a moment and reflect on this scripture. When you start thinking about the great heroes of the faith in scripture specifically, and someone says, the Apostle Paul, is the first thing that comes to your mind is that he was afraid? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think Apostle Paul? Wow, he was a man of faith. He wrote a third of the New Testament. He had an incredible ministry. We don't think of him being afraid. We don't think of him being discouraged. We don't think of him being down. We don't think of him considering giving up. All of that is what's going on when he's at Corinth. Did God know he was going through that, by the way? He sure did. Don't you love the fact your heavenly father knows everything? Well, wait a minute. Let's think. <laughs> I don't know. No. I do. You know why? For a lot of reasons. But the, one of the, obviously because it's the nature of God, he's omnipotent, omniscient, and he's omnipresent. But one of the reasons I love the fact he's omniscient, he knows everything, is this. He knows everything about me, and he still loves me. He knows my horrible thoughts. Still loves me. He knows my fears, my attitude that stinks, my feeling sorry for myself. He knows all that stuff. And yet he what? He loves me anyway. You think Peter experienced that when Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection and said, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him that three times. What do you think is going through Peter's mind as Jesus is asking him? It's like, wow crushed. Because Peter didn't answer agape, I love you with all my being, and Lord, I'm in. He answered him, hey, we're good friends. We're good friends. I phileo you. You're my buddy. You're my man. I got your back. Maybe I didn't have it when you needed me. What I love about that is the grace of God. What I love about the omniscience of God in my personal life is the grace of God. Is that Randy is not what God wants him to be so often, and yet what does God say? I love you. Now, go feed my sheep. Randy, tend my sheep. Randy, feed my sheep, Randy. Even though there are times you're going to get hurt. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. Get up and feed my sheep. So he says, the first thing he says to Paul, he knows exactly where Paul is. He knows exactly what he's feeling. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us, this is probably Jesus speaking to him, but Scripture teaches us that Jesus empathizes with us in every way. Not just understands, feels it. He is your Savior, your great high priest who intercedes, who understands. Paul's fear is not just a phobia his fear is based on hard events in his life, facts 
numerous attempts on his life to try to kill him, repeated persecutions, both physical and others, opposition from both Jews and Gentiles. And yet God says, just keep preaching. Keep preaching. Some version of this phrase where God says, do not be afraid, fear not, do not fear. Some version of that is found over a hundred times in the Bible where God says to his child, fear not, I am what? With you. Don't be afraid. Why did he say that? Why does he say that so often? Because he knows what? We're afraid. Think for a moment to the upper room discourse. Jesus is with the 11 guys that are going to carry on when he's gone. His closest followers, who have let him down, by the way. And he's going to pass that baton to them to go build his church, the Great Commission, which we'll be talking about now throughout the book of Acts. Go. And as you go, make learner followers of me. And Jesus, I'm with you always. In the upper room discourse, he begins it with these words. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. That great passage in John 14. Why did he say, let not your heart be troubled? Because their hearts were what? Troubled. He knew them. He knew everything about them. And he knew they were going to struggle. It was going to be hard. And he knew that they needed to be reminded, I'm going to send you another comforter who will be like me, who will be with you because I'm going away over and over. I'm going away. I'm going away. Thomas, who, by the way, is just like the rest of us. Thomas said what? Where are you going? We don't know how to get there. Jesus said, yeah, because I'm the way. I'm going away. I'm going to send you another helper who will be with you like I have been, but he'll also be where? In you. And then you're going to be able to do greater things than I've done. Oh, whoa, whoa, let's back up. Uh, you walk on top of the water. You change water into wine. You raise people from the dead. How in the world are we going to do stuff like that? And by the way, they did. Because the Holy Spirit, quantity-wise, they were going to be in more places with the Holy Spirit in them. So God's message to us, no matter what you're facing, I'm in it now, I already am in tomorrow, and I am in control of both. Don't be afraid. Boldly preach the gospel, Christ crucified, and I will be with you. And just preach it, I'll handle everything else. Just do it. Christ crucified. He he knew exactly what Paul needed to hear. Do not fear. Secondly, he says to him in verse 9, don't keep silent. We've just talked about. Speak. In other words, instead of being afraid, open your mouth and talk about Jesus. Just do it. Don't be afraid. Now, did he say to him, don't be afraid? Everything's going to go exactly the way you want it to. He said, I'm not going to let anybody hurt you right now. But guess what? Did Paul hurt later on? Sure did. Over and over. When he wrote Philippians, he was expecting to have his head cut off any moment. Not something to look forward to, is it? And he writes to them, if in my death, 
I can enhance your faith. I'm cool with that. On my wall in there, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. He said, if I've got to die to help you, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. So, Paul, so God says to Paul, don't be afraid. I want you to speak. Don't be silent. Verse 10, because I'm with you. I'm with you. I love that phrase. I was encouraging one of my grandchildren with that phrase not long ago. I'm with you. No matter what. I love the, the picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. And that pagan king looks in there and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How many did we put in there? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's Babylonian. How many did we put in there? We put three in there. Oh, king. Uh, there's four in there. And that other one looks like a son of the gods. No matter what your fire is, and that fire was the hottest that any man had ever known at that point because it consumed seven people when they opened the door. And they came out and said it didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing burned on them were the, what was holding them. God was sending a message. I'm walking around in the fire with you, and I'm bigger than the fire. I'm bigger than the smell of fire. I love to just dwell on that. Because there are times as a believer when you think, I am all alone. And what does Jesus remind you? Oh, no, you're not. I'm with you. I will always be with you. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be difficult, Paul told Timothy. It's going to be hard. You're going to suffer persecution. But it's worth it. Why? Because it furthers the kingdom. It's an opportunity to glorify the God who is there, the God who is real. He's always there. So I'm with you. Think about it this way. How does the book of Matthew begin? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and you can't understand it, so you quit reading it. But you know what the first message is in the book of Matthew? We celebrate it every Christmas. We sing about it. O come, O come. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Historically, I know is what was going on. At that moment in time, God stepped out of heaven as the second person of the Trinity and became the Son of Man, the Messiah, God with us. But then Jesus, when he got ready to leave the planet, said, oh, by the way, we talked about it a moment ago, but he got ready to leave the planet, he said, oh, by the way, God, the Son, is leaving, but God, the Holy Spirit, is coming. I'm always going to be with you because I'm God. He's God. I am with you. Great Commission, Emmanuel, God with us. And it ends with, I'm with you always. The book of Matthew begins with God with us, ends with, I'm always going to be with you. Hebrews, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 23, all the stuff we know. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with me? You, God, are with me. I will fear what? No evil. Fear comes from Satan. Fear comes from the flesh. And we all struggle with it. God just constantly reminds us, don't be afraid. Just be the witness I've called you to be and you're going to be okay. God's perpetual message to us, whether it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Jehoshaphat, Daniel, Mary. Pick a servant of God in Scripture. God constantly is reminding them, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then look at their circumstances. Think about Joseph. 
Think about Daniel. Young, godly men. And Joseph, like, what did I do wrong? Why am I in prayer? I don't, I don't even know why I'm here. Where are you, God? Job. Oh, my God. Job. He said, naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going out. Bless the name of the Lord. If he wants to take it all, take it all. Which he did. And guess what? He got it back. Just don't be afraid. Don't keep your mouth shut. Speak it. I'm always going to be with you. And Joshua, God said this to Joshua. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then in verse 10, back in Acts, God's message to Paul, no one's going to attack you. No one's going to hurt you. I got many people in Corinth. Wait a minute. Let's pause for a moment. Historically. He ain't got many people yet. Now there's a number of Corinthians have come and gotten saved. But God ain't got like thousands of servants in Corinth. You know what he's saying to Paul? Because God operates outside time, doesn't he? He doesn't have a past, present, and future. He has what? Is. He is. I am. Now get up, Moses, and go tell Pharaoh, I am. You tell the Hebrews, I am. He's saying to Paul, I know it looks bleak. I know it's going to be difficult, but guess what? I got a bunch of people coming to help you. You don't even know who they are yet, but they're coming. I got a lot of people. Corinth was a busy, busy place, and God was going to have servants there. It's going to be a difficult, sinful, immoral pagan place, but God was going to do an incredible work there, Paul. The potential is incredible, Paul. I'm not going to, you're going to survive this. Yeah, there's other stuff coming, but you're going to survive this. He's telling Paul, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to do some great things at Corinth. My promise. So the results, verse 11. He continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. For a year and a half, he begins to disciple all these new believers that God is bringing in. While he was there, he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. First epistles he wrote, he wrote them there. And then the gospel spreads to Centria, port city a few miles south of Corinth, the entire region of Achaia. Historically, that's what happened. Now, what's the application for us? No matter how difficult it appears, no matter how hard it is, don't give up. Noah preached 120 years. Repentance. You know how many responses he had? Zero. His family, that's it. 120 years. You know what people did? They just tailgated and watched him and laughed at him. Get the old coup, whatever he's building, look at him. 120 years. Jeremiah, we've mentioned many times, he's called the weeping prophet, preached for 50 years without one positive response. Jesus would have been a miserable failure in our culture of today. Crucified as a common criminal. At Aniram Judson, tremendous 
missionary. For six years, he preached in Burma with absolutely no results, but he didn't give up. He just persevered. Verse 12. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. They had a year and a half, and he rolled. Persecution is going to come. Satan is not going to give up. It's coming. So he gets persecuted again. And God gives him a new moment. Let's look at this and we're going to be done. He's persecuted. It leads to preaching. It leads to great results, which leads to more persecution. God said, you keep preaching. I'm with you. Rome was their enemy. And they had been succumbing to the Jewish pressure to persecute Jesus, persecute Paul. What we're about to see here, remember, Acts is a book of history. You're about to see an historical moment. Rome is about to say to the Jews, we've had it with you. We're not going to be your tool anymore to persecute followers of this Jesus. Because they just considered it these crazy Jews not being able to get along. We're not going to be, you're not going to use us anymore. Literally, what's about to happen, we're about to look at, is the decision that's made here by Galileo is going to pronounce Christianity as a legal religion in the Roman Empire. Do you understand how significant that is? That they can now go anywhere in the Roman Empire and preach, and it was going to be legal. That'd been a big area back then, wouldn't it? By the way, who's in control of history? God is. Paul needed to be reminded of the sovereignty of God, as do we, that God is bigger than Rome. You just preach. God is going to use pagan Rome to spread the gospel. They don't even know it. Because all Galileo is saying, I'm not messing with you clowns anymore. I I don't want to fool with this. They're going to be able to preach just like you Jews are. Figure it out. Judaism, whatever they call themselves, followers of the way, Christians, they're going to be able to do what they want to do. So literally what's about to happen, God's new moment, it's Paul's going to be freed to preach legally. Look at verse 12, 13. They bring you to the judgment seat. That's also known as the Bema seat. Fascinating. If you study over the Bema seat, is what it's also called when believers, when we go to heaven at the judgment, the Bema seat is where we will get our rewards, our crowns, the Bema seat. The judgment seat, that's what this is. Verse 13, they bring Paul in before the, the, to, before the Rome, Romans, Galileo, at the judgment seat. Verse 13 saying, this fellow Paul persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. What does that sound like, by the way? Harken back, who does that sound exactly like when he took Jesus before Pilate? Exact same thing. Verse 14, Paul is about to, I love this. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, write it in your Bible right here. When Paul was about to open his mouth as a Roman citizen, what was he about to do? He had the legal right as a Roman citizen to do what? Defend himself. He says, I I got something. God said, no, I'll handle this. Just shut up, Paul. That's what Mary does with me all the time. I'll handle this. Just shut up. All right. Paul's about to open his mouth like most preachers are apt to do. And Galileo said to the Jews, this Roman pagan ruler says to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, in other words, if he'd broken any Roman law, oh Jews, there would be reason why I should 
bear with you. What's the next word? Woo, I love that word. But if it is a question of words and names in your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And I love verse 16. He drove them from the judgment seat. You know who he's driving out? It's not Paul. Who's he driving out? The Jews who brought Paul. Here's what Galileo is saying. He hadn't broken any Roman law. I'm tired of us messing with you, bringing these people in here so we can do your job for you. You handle your own junk. You do your own business. Don't bring it to Rome anymore. This is a big moment in history. It's going to allow the gospel to go to places like Europe. Acts is a book of history. This is about A.D. 50, 51. And their goal was to have Galileo establish a precedent where anybody who preached Christianity could be punished. And the exact opposite happens because God is in control, not Galileo, and not the Roman Empire. So Paul is accused of violating Roman law. Obviously not the case. His verdict, Paul's a Roman citizen. It's not my problem. You handle it. He drives them out. So here's a summary of his judgment. The Jews can no longer use Rome to punish other Jews. Christianity has become a legal religion, not just a sect of these Jews anymore. And Paul and the others are free to preach anywhere in the Roman Empire. Now, verse 17. Look at the result, quickly at the results. All the Greeks, the Gentiles, took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. That ain't, he said, that ain't my problem. You know what the Gentiles did here? Remember, he, he drives the Jews out. You know what the Gentiles do? He said, we've had it with these Jews. Here's our chance to get some revenge. Beat them, boys. That's exactly what happened. They had a pile on. Beat them. So they take Sosthenes, beating the ruler of the synagogue that brought the charge against Paul with the others, and they just pile on. It's their chance. He apparently succeeded Crispus, or he's another ruler. He's the one that brought the charges. But here's what I want you to listen. Listen here. Listen closely to this. It's so cool. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm just going to quote it. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 says this. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. He got beat up for bringing Paul, charges against Paul, and then ultimately he became a believer in Jesus Christ. No pain, no gain. God is in control. So Paul stays a good while, verse 18 Paul remained a good while there. We don't really know exactly how long, approximately. He took leave of the brethren. He sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He didn't even know them two years ago, a year and a half ago. God brought them into his life. We were talking about earlier. We came out here 13 years ago. All the people that I knew then, with the exception of Pat and Danny Brown and the Crabtrees, I think, and Stan and Brenda, they're gone. But look at God has brought so many people into our lives to love, to be part of, different. That's fine. God says, you trust me. Verse 18, one more 
What's the first word of verse 18? I hope it's so in your Bible. If it's not, write it there. So, because of God's sovereign intervention and God's encouragement to Paul, letting him know I'm bigger than Rome, I'm bigger than the Jews, great things are happening for the kingdom. In Isaiah 40, the Bible says, God gives power to the weak, to those who have no might. He increases strength. The youths faint and they're not weary. The young men utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Encouragement. Paul needed that. And then the sovereignty of God. In Daniel chapter 7, the Bible says this. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, God, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, this Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away. His kingdom is the one, the one kingdom which shall not be destroyed. There are going to be kingdom after kingdom, and even as Daniel was written and his history, we can go back and you can look at it, whether you're talking about Greece or you're talking about Rome, you're talking about the, the on and on, kingdom after kingdom and history, even the United States today and kingdoms all over this globe When this globe no longer exists and there's one kingdom, which one is it? The kingdom of the Son of Man. Who, by the way, says to you, don't be afraid. Tell people about me and I'm going to be with you. Because all these other kingdoms that they're serving, they will not survive judgment. None of them will. Sovereignty. When you're... The great story about... The Apostle Paul asking God to remove his thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. He asked God three times, and what was God's answer? No. My grace is sufficient for you. But you know how that passage ends? Paul says, I now understand when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Because it's not me, it's God in me, which he would write later, Christ in me is your hope of glory. God is always at work for your good, Romans 8, 28. He brings Aquila and Priscilla into Paul's life. The heathen ruler, Claudius, the heathen judge, Galileo. God's ways are not our ways. So verses 18 through 22, Paul finishes his missionary journey number two. Gets his hair cut off like most of us because of a Nazarite vow he probably took. But the message beyond that was he was saying, I want to be able to preach to both Jews and Gentiles. I know my mission is to the Gentiles, but I love my people, the Jews. And what, as we wrap up today, what does all this mean? What does all this mean? Well, he ends missionary journey number two, which means what's about to follow? I took math. Missionary journey number three. And God reminds him at the end I'm in control. I want to encourage you. Get back at it. 
And I don't know where you are, and I don't know what you struggle with. I know we all struggle at times. But I just love to be reminded that my God is not only in control now, he's already shaping tomorrow and wants me to trust him and do not give up. I struggle with that, honestly. I struggle with it. That maybe I'm not as effective as I need to be. God constantly has to remind me. Randy, your job is to be faithful, available, and teachable. Now go and don't give up. Would you bow your heads, please? Thank you, Bill. Bow your heads, please. Lord, we, uh, we're so grateful that our God is the great I am, who is real, who is powerful, who is there, both today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. You hold us. We're yours. We thank you for our salvation in Christ. And for those of us who are born again and the things we struggle with, Father, I, I pray as you've taught me and disciplined me over the last two weeks to don't be afraid. Trust me. And then speak. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. I'm in control. There will be difficult times. Yes. You have to trust me. Trust me. And let's move forward. See what you're going to do. And Father, for someone here who's not a Christian, this might be their moment to say to Jesus, wow, you died in my place. Thank you for taking my sins on the cross, dying for me. Please forgive me. Save me. I want to be a Christ follower. We commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be down front.